0: If, if you are the genie, then I must be the master of the lamp. Big deal, master of the lamp. All right,
1: you got yourself a free wish.
0: There's supposed to be three wishes. Ah, there's the rub. Uh, three. Uh, something.
1: Come on, we're
0: gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare.
1: Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And uh, we're we're uh, doing our best uh, uh, to be socially distant from one another and to distance ourselves from the parallel for last week. And uh, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed our abrupt and sudden not talking much about that episode. Uh, yeah, that was a weird one, but... You know, thank goodness that we're coming into this one. Uh, this one's not, this was not a weird episode that um, is one that uh, I, I don't know. What, do, what did we do to deserve this, Terry? I just want to know, what did we do to deserve? These I'm episodes? not
0: sure there, there's some, uh, there's some talk about how this season has some ups and downs. I think this is the downs that people were referring to.
1: <laughs> it's like, have you ever seen someone take a concrete block and throw it into like a dryer, and then just turn it on full to see what happens to the dryer, and it just just shakes itself apart violently? I just, I that's kind of how I feel that parts of the season have gone, where it's like, let's just see what happens. Oh, that didn't go well, did it?
0: I think that's how my mind feels when I've been watching a few of these episodes too.
1: Yeah. I mean, season three had some wobbling and, uh, some parts that didn't quite like, I I felt there was some rough country there and it was, uh, and I mean, at least, We'll get into this. This is a season four, episode 12. I dream of Genie. Uh, G E N I E. Uh, that's important not to be confused with the show that would come later. Um, that was spelled differently. Uh, and we have a connection to that too as we get into casting crew. Uh, at least this one, it tries to do something a little different. I so I'll give it that, but this is still going to be a weird one to talk about. So I've been dragging my feet. Um, you can always tell the barometer of where. I'm out at these shows cause when I first get onto Skype and talking to Terry, it's like, Oh, we'll talk about anything else. And it's like, I'm like, Hey, you know, you know, there's all these different flags in the world. You know, it's like, I'll just come up with whatever, but like, Oh, so have we try any new seasonings lately? It's just, you can just find, I'm just, I'll talk about anything else. And that's usually not a good sign of an episode.
0: That's okay, Paul. I mean, it, it, it happens. <laughs> we obviously going to have, some some rough spots here and watching the shows but at least we can talk together about this we can get through it together
1: um, that's true and that that's actually something we did mention uh, before we started recording was that I, I i came to the 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 realization it's like one of those things that's very obvious but you stop and think about it. Is that we're all you know in quarantine we're all trying to do our best to flatten the curve and all that uh and it's good uh And we all have all this, all this distraction that we can have. Like I have video games streaming, you know, like it's, I, I, I'm not without want of something to engage with. However, there's something to be said with being able to share that experience with somebody and, thankfully having this outlet and I hope people listen to this too, cause you're included in this conversation as well. Like that's, that's where I feel like this is where my sanity is going to be. Even as much as, um, you know, we're going to talk about this episode and whether or not we liked it. And I don't want to tip my hand too much, but at least we can have that shared experience and feel human. So that way we're not just like, cause like if I would have watched this, like in a vacuum by myself with no one to talk to, it would have been like the one, like it would just been a waste of an hour. You know, at least now watching it, I knew that I had the, I was like, you know, I, I can't wait to talk to you about some of these moments because I wanted to see if you, you know, if you felt the same way that I did about something. So at least, at least we have that and we can at least thank this, this medium and, um, this episode to have that experience.
0: Yeah. See, that's the thing I love about our, the way we've formatted the short show and that, and how we can have conversation because if it was just me, listening to or watching the show on my own, there would be just my internal conflict of how I feel, but having your uh, view on it as well is it's enlightening. It's a, it gives me a perspective.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and I hope that, uh, I got people are watching along uh, and, and you know, why not? Like, what are you going to do? Like, um, any, I don't know, nothing, <laughs> it's just, you know, you should, every, even, even the parallel, uh, as much as it was probably the most blandest episode of the Twilight Zone that I hope to ever see, uh, I did it, we got through it, it just check it off the list, so I don't regret watching it. It's just, you know, we'll, we'll we had a conversation and now we're on to this one, so yeah, uh, let's get into this. Uh, like I said, season four, episode 12, air date. March 21st, 1963, number one song, Walk Like a Man by the Four Seasons, number one film, How the West Was Won. Um, And then so I got actually got a couple things here for day and date that's uh, interesting. Um, Alcatraz was officially closed uh, because it cost twice as much to operate than other federal prisons. Um, So uh, of the last 27 prisoners transferred elsewhere um, by uh, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, uh, Frank P. Weatherman was the last, of the 27 inmates to depart the prison. I don't know who he is, but the fact that we know the name of the last person that was actually incarcerated in Alcatraz and also just thinking about Alcatraz and about how like that's been like, it's still this, this, this thing in our heads of like this, you know, generally unescapable prison, you know, I mean, there's been you know, the the potential, right? There's those guys that, you know, supposedly did escape, but we don't know what happened to them. And I know Mythbusters did a whole episode about it. And there's the Clint Eastwood film, Escape from Alcatraz, which I have not seen, but I need to. Like this is one of those those prisons that's like, even though it's closed, it is not forgotten. No, it is
0: a big touristy site. And uh I I've been always wanting to go there because uh, m- one of my favorite movies of all time is escape from alcatraz it's um an amazing film and i there is a weird subgenre of film that i absolutely love and it's prison films not quite sure why but i have some weird thing for them. i love watching them I, I like my my second favorite favorite film of all time is um shawshank redemption so it's an amazing film as well it's just something about the psyche that i like diving into too but nonetheless, uh, I want to get there before they, uh, they close it all down in general. Cause it's, there's a lot of deterioration to the building itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know they still do tours and I also can't, uh, help but mention, uh, so I married an ax murderer where there's the whole bit in there where they go toward the island with, um, Phil Hartman as being one of the tour guides. Uh, that's, that's a funny bit, but yeah, this was the, the day it closed. Um, uh, you know, so uh, other things that happen this, this day, uh, <laughs> Uh, World featherweight boxing champion Davy Moore was fatally injured in a bout with challenger Sugar Ramos at Dodger Stadium. Uh, In the 10th round, the fight was stopped after Moore had been knocked down twice and was slumped over the ropes of the boxing ring. Um, And then um, Ramos was declared the new champion. 45 minutes later, after Moore told reporters, I'd like to fight him again, um, the the throne champion collapsed in his dressing room and never regained consciousness. He died four days later. That's just, I mean that's not something to to bring up because it's, it's not a good thing, but you know, like that's unfortunately that like with contact sports, there is the potential of this, but you know, with him saying, you know, I'd like to fight him again. And then 45 minutes later, you know, uh, well, he said that and then collapsed. Like that's, that's crazy.
0: That is crazy. I, that it's unfortunately one of the things that comes along with the, the territory of boxing and that there has been other fighters that have taken really bad blows. And then they pass, pass away in a few days. There was actually one, I think last year.
1: Uh, yeah. Not it's even, not even a few months ago. Sport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But the fact that this took place at Dodger stadium, it's like, that's, that was a big draw. It was a, it was a big fight, you know? So like, that's, you know, that's a, that's crazy. And then, um, <laughs> this story, uh, feels like a uh, story, like, I'm like, you know, the news of the day, let's just get to it. And like, I crank up the newsreel, you know, news on parade. Uh, United States Food and Drug Administration gave approval for the first vaccine against measles. So, feels very appropriate for what's going on right now. So, that was a good step forward to helping er- eradicate measles for the most part. Until you
0: sandwich the bad news right in between good news. Alcatraz being closed, which was a terrible prison for the end days that they had going on there. Bad news in the middle. And good news at the end. I like what your your days yeah, that, of topic yeah. I was
1: were. I was trying to do the, the 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 sandwich, the compliment sandwich. There, yeah, I know. So that's yeah, that's all I got for Dan Date. So um, let's just get into this uh, casting crew.
0: All right. So as our director here, we have Robert Gist. Uh, this was his only episode of Twilight Zone. Uh, he did one episode of T- Star Trek, and then twenty episodes of uh, Peter Gunn. He was also an actor too, uh, did quite a bit of stuff. Um, he was in Hawaiian eye.
1: Yeah. That's all I got for him was I, I tried looking at a lot of TV work. Um, and then he acted in Hawaiian eye. Uh, I was hoping for a little bit more about him. I just couldn't like, he, you know, obviously, uh, made his bones directing TV and acting. So that's good. But I didn't get any, any sense of personality in terms of like, I don't know, Personality's not the right thing. I didn't get like an essence, like of anything versus some of the directors that we, we come across on the show.
0: Yeah. It's his acting career seemed to be a lot more predominant, um, over his directing. He must've had some kind of connection, um, with, uh, Rod Serling. Cause, uh, he did, uh, one episode of a uh, playhouse 90 as well. So he must've saw something there. Yeah. Oh.
1: Um, but that's all I got for, uh, for him. Like this is, uh, it's the rare one shot director on the series. And then we got the rare one shot writer as well. So, um, yeah, John
0: Furia.
1: Yeah, Fira? I think it's Furia, which yeah. is an awesome, awesome man. John Furia Jr. Um, you know, uh, so, uh, son of um, uh, Furiosa from uh, Mad Max. No, um, only <laughs> Twilight, only Twilight Zone episode, and he has like twenty seven uh, TV writing credits total. So, uh, this, he was actually brought in. So, the one a uh, little trivia that I that I do remember from my reading here is that. Um, Robert Hirschman, the guy who was producing most of the season that butted heads with Serling, uh, actually asked Fury to write an episode and Fury's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like he, it was one of those things where he's like, I'll do it. Cause like, I guess they, he, they worked together and, uh, Hirschman liked his work. So he was just like, well, what could I do? So this was him kind of like, like shrugging and being like, I could try. And I think that kind of, kind of shows up in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It,
0: it it was something, uh, he, he must've had some kind of, uh, respect, uh, amongst the other writers though. Cause he did, uh, some show called hotel and that ran for 115 episodes. So, and then he did some bonanza.
1: So, yeah. So, I mean, he had you know, some
0: kind of career. I didn't know him from anything else though.
1: Again, just, it's just, um, th- it's weird that this, like, this is just an odd episode and that uh, you could tell like some of the reasons for it is probably because of those involved. Uh, because it's like if this was their only passing through the Twilight Zone, uh, yeah, you didn't it didn't really get a good good sense of who they were, and you wonder if they got a sense of what the show was trying to do. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, let's get into our actors.
0: So, and then for our cast, we have uh, Howard Morris. He plays George Hanley. Uh, only episode of Twilight Zone, uh, but he did a lot of voice work, like a ton of voice work. Um, he was in the Flintstones, uh, McGilla Mag- Gorilla uh, Adam Ant,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, he did uh, pretty much anywhere that Jughead was for Archie cartoons. And that he did the voice of Jughead for all of the iterations. Um, there was like five or six different shows where our uh, jar- Jughead was in it. So he kept on doing the voice. Um, and he, it was a pretty decent run for a police Academy cartoon. Yeah. And he would get the voice for that.
1: I just, I a police Academy cartoon things that I probably saw when I was growing up and didn't remember that was weird. Uh he was also the voice of Hamburglar and Mary McCheese at various points for McDonald's. Um so I just want to mention that and also he was he was a, a, a bit player sometimes on um the Sid Caesar sketch show like I, I um so there was a sketch where he committed fully to something and like ended up grabbing like Sid's leg and Sid was walking away and he was dragging uh, Howard Morris along with him. Like he really sold this bit. And I guess it was like one of those like electric live moments of TV where people were howling, you know? And so Billy Crystal saw that growing up and and just always remembered it. And uh, Cohen O'Brien saw that when he was growing up, like later, obviously. And he said that was the sketch that made him want to make people laugh. So Howard Morris inspired a lot because he, he leaned in. Um, I, I wish they would have given him a little bit more here. Cause you know, he does have a little bit of, you could tell he has timing and talent. I just don't know if it was, he was best served by the script.
0: No, I, 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 believe that. Um, so, and then he also did a little bit of directing work. So he was, uh, he directed some episodes of Hogan's heroes and Andy Griffith show.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So um, again, I would have liked to seen him another episode, you know, like just, it wasn't bad and he, I don't think he was the problem with it.
0: Yeah. we Another dynamic to him would have been uh, pretty cool to see. But, uh, so moving on, we have, uh, Patricia Berry. Uh, she plays Anne. Um, she did one other episode and that was the
1: chaser. Yes. And that was my, one of my surprise favorite episodes of season one. Cause I, I'd never seen it before. And that's another one that's, odd, like in terms of like the, what the twilight zone is. Cause it has like this jazzy score to it, which that, the, the don't get me wrong. The jazz shows up a lot in the twilight zone. That's good. But this was like really kind of upbeat jazzy score. And it's, um it's about a guy getting a love potion to try to win over this girl um, who she played Lila in that episode and pretty much the same character that we find her at the beginning here. That kind of like, um you know, uh, you know, eye candy with the, the soft voice, Type of thing, but she was good in that too. Um, and the if people, if you, if you saw The Chaser when we talked about it back then, great. If you've not seen it, watch it because it's a delight. I, I love that episode. And so when I was watching this one, I'm like, she looks familiar, and I'm like, oh, that's why. And also, she is um, in The Twilight Zone, the film, uh, in the segment. It's a Good Life. She's the mother of the family put together by the kid.
0: Yep. Yeah. I was, I was like, I I've seen this chick before too, but I couldn't really place her from the things that I had seen. The only thing that I have seen her in, but I just couldn't place her for the moment was that she was in that movie, this, uh sea of love, the Al Pacino film that I was talking okay. about.
1: Gotcha. So, um, yeah. It's, I didn't do the biggest dive for her again. Cause I know we'd already in regards to the show, um with the chaser I, I, I probably had more important smarter notes back then i don't know but i was just happy to see her again uh because i thought she was good in that episode and she's good here because she you know again she was playing a certain type and it, it worked you know for her um yeah it was good to see her again though
0: yeah so um and then we have lauren smith uh plays watson Ah, uh, one other episode, and that was the whole truth.
1: Yeah, one of the clunker comedy episodes in season two, where they did the videotaping, as opposed to – like the videotape to film, as opposed to filming. I, the whole truth is just it's 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 a limit of an episode, and he was in that. So, man, to, to to know you get cast twice in the Twilight Zone, and these are the two. I just I feel I feel bad for Loring Smith.
0: Yeah. And the, the only other thing that I saw that was even remotely notable was that he did an episode of playhouse 90 and that was it. I didn't know anything else. Hopefully it was a good one. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, we have Mark Miller. Uh, he plays Roger. Uh, this was his only twilight zone appearance. Um, and then he did guess word. Ho a long stint on this show. Never heard of it, but he he was on there for a while. Uh, and then he was in Hawaii and I.
1: Oh, good. I didn't, I didn't note that. So that's a good poll.
0: Yeah, and then uh, he was—he did fifty-eight episodes of Please Don't Eat the Daisies.
1: Yeah, that was a show that came out a little after the Twilight Zone. That uh, w- during season one of Twilight Zone, there that f- that film, Please Don't Eat the Daisies, was in the theater and was number one film. Because uh, I just remember right, taking notes, so evidently that was a, you know kind of a popular thing, and they made a TV show. So that's something I see ever so often. Uh, I have here that he he actually would uh, later show up at an episode of the the comedy series I Dream of Genie, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then he actually ended up writing the screenplay for the nineteen ninety five Keanu Reeves film A Walk in the Clouds, which I've never seen, but everybody remembers that the cover art just because it was very orange and when he was wearing a, like a nice uh, like it looked like he looked like he was like the Grapes of Wrath or something if you remember that cover uh, for A Walk in the Clouds. But yeah, the guy wrote the screenplay for that.
0: Huh, interesting yeah i've never seen it either it's um, a
1: prequel to john wick actually it's back in his his happier days before he got he oh, took up the killing oh yeah <laughs> and then
0: when he got a dog and then he's like oh no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what he's happened like, to my dog
1: I like the, it's just back then where it's just like hey hey john's like you should own a dog he's like nah or if you get attached to a dog then it makes a man go crazy if you lose it now nah, you should open your heart john you know what i might get a dog and that's the end of the movie you know that would be <laughs>
0: And, and then um, the only other credit I have for him, and it's just a fun one because I think it's hilarious. He was in something called Bus Stop as Dick, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you were that, you were that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I used to take public transportation too. I know you well, right? Dick.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's funny.
0: <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we have Joyce jo- uh, Joyce Jameson. Um, she plays the starlet. I, I'm, I'm sure this is the woman that's under the piano. I believe. I
1: think you're right. I think that's the
0: woman under okay. the piano. Yeah. All right. So then only Twilight's own appearance. Um, she was in tales of terror, uh, two episodes of the monsters and then death race 2000.
1: Yeah. And she was also in uh, 1976's 1976 uh, clean Eastwood's, uh, the outlaw Josie Wales. So I just wanted to, to mention that cause it's, it's a pretty good movie.
0: Ooh. And then, uh, all right, I'm going to have trouble with this one. Uh, James Milholson, Mo- Milholen. Yeah. Mil-Holland. I think that's right. Milholen. There we
1: go. I think you're right.
0: Cool. Uh, he plays masters, um, two other episodes, the after hours and Mr. Dingle, the strong.
1: Yeah. He actually, when I saw him, I was excited because it's the like he's at the beginning of this episode and we'll talk about him in a minute. Very, you know, very recognizable character actor face and, He played, um, someone working in the department store in the after hour. So it's like, it doesn't feel that far away. Uh, but he had one of my favorite lines of that episode where he made some kind of crack about Cleveland in that episode. So I saw him, I was like, Oh, I like this guy. And he, you know, he's here for a lot of it, but his energy at the beginning, I wish that would have been more of that in the episode.
0: Yeah. There was, he seemed to be a very big, uh, I don't know, presence in the very beginning of the episode. And then we didn't see much more of that kind of, uh, enthusiasm throughout the rest.
1: That's a good way but, to put it. Enthusiasm. Um, Cause he, he was game and I don't know about everybody else. So then, uh, he was also in Batman,
0: uh, the, the 60, the sixties show hmm. with Adam West, uh, episode lost in space. And then one step beyond. Okay. And then, uh,
1: Bob Haskins, Haskins, in Hastings yeah, I, Hastings, Hastings, That's probably, it's probably Hastings, Hastings. Yeah. Hastings. Hasht- Bob hashtags. Yes.
0: Yeah. So yeah, he plays Sam, uh, only twilight zone show and then 129 episodes of Mikhail's Navy.
1: Yeah. He was also oh. commissioner Gordon in Batman, the animated series. So I, I thought that would be worthy of mention.
0: Yeah. He like around that time, anytime that that character was used, he was using the voice in the animated, uh, segments. Uh, where Gordon shows up and then he, this one I love because it's so obscure. He was in 10 episodes of the monsters as the Raven. Now, if you remember the monsters, they had a, a cuckoo clock, but instead of a, a chicken or a little bird that came out of it, it was the giant Raven head. He played the voice of the Raven.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Yeah. That one line, it would just say well, nevermore. And that was it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, you know, it, it's a living, you know, like to quote yeah. bir- birds from the Flintstones. Yeah. So that, that's awesome. Yeah. And then,
0: um, next we have Robert Ball. He, he, plays the clerk. Um, I imagine he was the, the sidekick who didn't really say much in the beginning of the episode. And yeah. that was about it.
1: Yeah. Only, um, yeah. I don't have anything for him other than that was his only twilight zone appearance.
0: Yeah. He, yeah. Only twilight zone. And then he would, the only fun fact I had about him is that he was in a movie called the brain eaters. Again, hear me going off on trying to find something cool that these guys are in that just sounds fun. And it's um, the synopsis is the inhabitants of a small Illinois town begins disappearing after a strange cone is found sticking out of the ground nearby. The brain eaters just sounds good enough to me. I don't (laughs) I I'm willing to watch it on just that alone. It sounds like a, a pretty crappy film that you would get on one of those like 50 films of (laughs) horror
1: list yeah uh it feels like something that would appear on um mystery science theater 3000 um but it's like this is a cone appears like what like a like a traffic cone a waffle cone like what kind of cone are they talking about like uh
0: i don't know when it got to the cone part i was like what the hell does that even mean
1: (laughs) it's just like this cone showed up it's like well that's that's awkward it just tells us to turn left here i don't know There's construction now i must eat brains You know, so
0: it's probably a Robert, uh, Roger Corman uh, kind of like type film. He wasn't attached (laughs) to it, but nonetheless,
1: I I like the idea. It's like, well, we want a UFO here. It's like, we don't have money for a UFO. What if we just did a giant cone? Do it. Just make it happen. You know, like, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, yeah, moving on, we got,
0: uh, Jack Albertson, uh, the next big like face in this episode, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, he plays the genie and one other episode of the Twilight zone was the shelter.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. He's actually, he has a good spot, a good role on that too. He looks a lot more like grandpa Joe in that one, even though you know if he just, cause this one, he's all kind of dudded up a little differently, but yeah, grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Uh, but this is his, uh, second of only two appearances. And again, don't know if he's good, well served here, but I do like him and I wish we would have gotten more of him. I, we should have got at least a second scene with the genie. I believe I think we, we were owed that after everything we went through, um, that's just me. Yeah.
0: Especially since it has genie in the title. That's, that's that's all we got was literally a segment of what a minute and a half. If that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. So he, uh, outside of uh Willy Wonka, he did 88 episodes of Chico and the man. And uh, my favorite credit to him was uh, the Poseidon adventure. I adore that film. And he is, um, he's great in that too.
1: Nice. I, I actually have not seen that. I know what it is, but I've not seen it. Uh, cause that was like part of that whole trend of like, um, disaster movies, disaster right? Film. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, Gene Hackman's in it. It's, it's a great film.
1: Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I know it's, it's one people talk about It's again, I just, uh, it's a blind spot for me. So, uh, escape from Alcatraz and the Poseidon adventure. I feel like those are two that I need to put on my list of shame to get to.
0: Definitely. You got time. So. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. Um, so do you have anybody else? Cause I have one person that's important of note in this cast after the, after rails, we talked about, no, that's all I got. Who do you got? I have Robert McCord who plays cast party member. And you're going to be like Robert McCord. Who's he? Um, I <laughs> remember what like. This was like uh, last week when I had you watch person or persons unknown and the main actor jumps out the window and then steals a truck and there's a guy eating an apple on a step. and He's like, hey, that's my truck and chases after yeah. him. That's Robert McCord. He has he will ultimately be in 32 episodes of the Twilight Zone, always playing bit parts. And so this is his 25th of 32 appearances. So by far, outside of Rod Serling, the one person that was in the most Twilight Zone. Uh, and he always plays a bit part. So I, I just wrote here, collect them all. So I was excited for another Robert McCord appearance, but knowing that we're soon approaching, uh, you know, the end of, uh, Robert McCord's involvement in the twilight zone.
0: Well, that's, that's pretty sweet that he was in that many episodes. It's too bad that the guy never really got a big, well, did he get a big break? Was there any big episodes for him up to this point?
1: No, he never, other than, so the reason I mentioned that persons are persons unknown, because that was the one time, because his, his cast, uh, his cast name was man eating apple. And I'm like, well, that's him. That has to be him. And it's like, that was like the only time I got a clear look at his face. I'm like, that's Robert McCord. Otherwise I would not know who he was from anybody in these episodes.
0: That's fine. <laughs> but it's And it's, it's funny that he's placed in an, uh, such a, a big crowd as like a party, like that and you still wouldn't be able to point them out if you really weren't paying attention
1: this feels like either he was working in some capacity on the show and they're like hey you got a you got a you know a screen card can you just get in there and we'll get you you know some money or maybe it was just part of like a bunch of stock actors for cbs or on that lot that it's like hey we just need and we need a dude and he's like i'm available so either way i mean clearly he was dependable and was available so you know there, there's that's good it's just i think it's funny that like he just ended up in so many episodes. Like that would be, that would be my dream job. Maybe not the lead, you know, but in terms of like being an actor, just be like, yeah, I was in 32 episodes of the twilight zone. Were you I'm like, yeah. How many were you in? Like, that would be great. That would be like, unless like, you know, you're coming up against like, you know, I don't know, somebody else like, you'd be like, yeah, I was in a lot of that. You know, the, the, the show was okay, but I made it better. That's what I just always want yeah. to be background guy.
0: I'd love to be that guy too. There are a few of my friends that were have acting credits and one of the biggest claim to fames to these people that all have like this link is being in the, uh, the little Marvel films every time they came to Cleveland (laughs) to shoot. And they're like, yeah, I was an extra in that too. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Lucky sons of bitches.
1: Yeah. One of my friends, uh, he is in the winter soldier. There's a bit where, um, when captain America and black widow are trying to find like a, an Apple store or some shit. And it's actually in, um, it's in the mall. It's in Tower City in Cleveland. It's not actually Cleveland, right? But there's a bit where um, they're going down an escalator, and my my buddy, you could if you know what he looks like, you could see him like plan his day. But he's like out of focus over Chris Evans' shoulder, and you're like, "Son of a bitch!" Like, <laughs> so the the joke always was is like, "Did you survive the snap? You know, like where are you at now? Like post Thanos, you know?" So yeah, <laughs> I, I I would love I would love something like that. It would just be so much fun. Yeah,
0: I always. I my one acting friend. She, I was in discussion discussion with her about those kinds of scenes that she's done in those films. I was like, oh, I would love that. And she's like, oh, do you do you act? I'm like, no, not at all. Only only (laughs)
1: inappropriately. That's all. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just enough to get me in trouble. Without remorse. That's how I act. No, (laughs) with extreme prejudice. No. Um. So yeah, that's that's your cast uh, crew. so again, uh, take a drink for Robert McCord. Um, you know, that was, was didn't couldn't couldn't pull him out of that party crowd, but I'm glad that he was there. So yeah, that's our cast and crew. Uh, let's just let's just get into this. Let, uh, Mr. Shirling uh, take it away.
0: Meet Mr. George P. Hanley. A man life treats without deference, honor, or success. Waiters serve his soup cold. elevator operators close doors in his face. Mothers never bother to wait up for the daughters he dates. George is a creature of humble habits and tame dreams. He's an ordinary man, Mr. Hanley. But at this moment, the accidental possessor of a very special gift. The kind of gift that measures men against their dreams. The kind of gift most of us might ask for first and possibly regret to the last. If we like Mr. George P. Hanley, we're about to plunge headfirst and unaware into our own personal twilight zone.
1: So, have we had a comedy episode this season? I don't think we've had one that was intentionally a comedy episode.
0: No, just bits about them that like that were sprinkled in there for as, far, as far as like comedy bits, but there's like never been in this season yet. Like a one com- that was
1: one. leaning towards comedy, like like miniature actually had some surprising bits of comedy that worked and that was intentional, but that was not a comedic story. But this was this is straight up trying to be a comedy throughout. Right. Like that. So when, when twilight zone does comedy, it it gets weird. Uh, I mentioned the chaser. That's a very much a comedic episode and I think it's wonderful, but that's like the outlier. Um, but yeah, this is like, this is a comedy one and I didn't know how I'd feel about it. Uh, but you know, not to, I, I, maybe I'm stepping on the lead, but, and this is also not the first time we've dealt with the genie in the twilight zone either. So this is another weird thing that we're revisiting this. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, I will say that I liked the very beginning of this. That was actually fun where we had uh, James Mulholland and his store, his antique store, like renaming everything that's being pulled out of a box and basically saying, if you, if you make it seem like there's associated value, you can charge more. And I liked his kind of just like his speech to his, um, his coworker about like, this isn't just junk frame it the right way and people will buy it. I thought that was, I thought that was fun
0: it's the used car salesman bit, you know, like if you ever seen that movie "Used cars, uh, Kurt Russell does like basically the exact same bit. And it's perfect. It's talking about some piece of crap being the best thing that you could have walked in on. Like the, you're lucky day guy.
1: I, I just feel like, uh, James Milholland is like, ah, you know, I, I want to, I want to see a movie or where it's just him and Vincent price being brothers, just, you know, chewing up the scenery and just like, kind of like, like uh, tricking people into buying things. That's kind of what I want now. I know it'll never happen, but I kind of want to see that.
0: Yeah, that would, that'd be, that'd be kind of fun actually.
1: <laughs> Cause he has that kind of price. Like he doesn't have the same type of like, like, like a uh, delivery of lines, but he has that same type of like thin frame and he knows more than you. Like I just, I thought though, that's my, that's the vibe I got from him. But then he was talking about basically like, yeah, they pull the lamp out of the box and um, and he's like, well, we always got to find the right sucker for this. And then that's when we meet George. George is walking in being that sucker and it goes for like this, um, I don't know, like 30, 45 second thing where um, Masters is like, you know, Bill Holland is like not not giving him options, but telling him what to buy and then thanking him for his purchase, which is funny, but since I've worked in, you know, customer service and retail, oh, that was furiating to me.
0: Yeah, it seemed like it was almost like if your your district manager had a training video, <laughs> it would have been a master's selling to a customer. Like, you know what the customer actually wants. They have no idea what they want. When they come into the store, they expect you to sell to them.
1: (laughs) Um, When I, when I worked at blockbuster, you know, if if people don't remember it was, you know, it's not been as long ago as the twilight zone, but it was a while ago. I remember one night I was trying to close and this person came in right, right at closing. And they're like, I want to rent a movie. It's like, of course you're in blockbuster. Like they're like, tell me, (laughs) tell me like a good movie. And I was just so annoyed. I walked over. I was like, here's citizen Kane. It's been rated as the number one film of all time. They're like, I want a different movie. I'm like, why you just asked for a good movie? I, you didn't specify. So I went for the one people considered the best, you know? So clearly I didn't know what they wanted, but, but I was trying to make them rinse this again as like a last minute rental. Um, you know, I, I didn't succeed, but I just remember just being annoyed and grabbing that, uh, as my offering. You
0: obviously weren't a good enough salesman, dude. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like anybody, anybody ever come up and be like, yeah, you guys got movies like boondock saints. I just wanted to immediately like, just, you know, just hang myself behind the counter and just like just fade away and let this mortal coil just like, you know, just slip off of me. You know, like it's, (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I wonder why, you know, that, that whole chain closed maybe it wasn't me, but I probably didn't help it, but I didn't sell anybody a lamp. I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. George cubs in. And, um, he he's he obviously looks confused. He looks kind of bewildered in a sense where he he knows he needs to do something. But obviously Masters is going to show him what's up. And he you know with the other clerk being there he's the skeptic. He's like OK I'm going to watch the the, the 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 boss at hand here sell this dude something. And he sells them the piece of junk lamp that he just took out of the box that he's already saying, yeah, watch, I'm going to sell this for way more than we got it for. And, uh, you know, George has no say, like, like you said, he, he doesn't have a moment to interject.
1: Well, he mentions that he's looking for a gift for a girl and then just, you know, a master spins it where it's like, oh, well she'll appreciate this. And then like you could tell that like George was like I, I I don't know about this but he also isn't going to speak up you know and that and he ends up with a lamp and you now, and Masters is like all right well thank you for coming and then you know whenever you need any of your, you know shopping for your honeymoon or whatever just come right back and it was like over and done and it, there was like there was an energy to that scene there I just that that was entertaining enough to me I just wish we would have gotten something more akin to that um the rest of the time but I think that's more the performance of uh masters.
0: Yeah, the scene seems a little uh, rushed, but that's perfect for the setting. I mean, the salesman is selling to this guy before he has a chance to second thought the, the purchase. He just gets him out the door. And there's some scenes in this this episode that I wish were rushed like this. Like well, did you we could have framed them better.
1: Whenever, like, so the, the, there's the shot whenever George is leaving, and, and it's right before we cut to Serling, there's this awkward handshake that happens in the middle of the screen. Did you notice that? Where it was uh it was Masters and his like his co-worker like reaching in the middle. Like it was like I, I just don't know how these guys were standing off camera, but it looked almost like a weird angle for that handshake. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but it was like, they were trying to get the timing right with the camera pull. It was just weird. Uh, but as, yeah,
0: as they're wearing ACE bandages after that scene, because they had to have twisted their, wits <laughs> and their
1: rest, made that handshake. Yeah, it was weird. Um, but yeah, I just, so we got Serling's intro there and I, I wish he would have been in the back of the store, just looking at some junk. Before, like, introducing the episode, I know he physically wasn't there, but I think it would have been funny, him just kind of like, you know, just, just, just missing whatever is in front of him and then going on and introducing it. But, um, yeah, so that's, the, we get the intro, um, and then we, we find George going to his office, um, being an accountant again, or, or some kind of, you know, bookkeeper, which I guess is a thing that happens now in the Twilight Zone every episode. And he has a gift for this girl and he goes to go put it in her desk and decides against it and then puts to his desk. Um, and, you know, but you could tell that like, he's anxious about it and that's important to him. Uh, and then all the office comes back from lunch. Uh, and man, this section was just, it was, it just, I don't, none of it aged well. Let me just put it that way. No,
0: it it was unnerving for the majority of it because not only are they painting, george to be i don't know this pushover this this real loser uh, and they, they personify that as soon as everybody comes back he he curls back up into his desk and he hides the gift so no one else sees it and he's real demure when it comes to everybody else being around him and then um roger comes in and he just seems like the biggest d-bag of the office and he's just uh, like talking about lunch kicks up his feet uh and he's just, I don't know, he's, he's that guy at your work where you're like, every time he comes in, you're like, ugh.
1: and he keeps calling George, Georgie, Porgy. And I'm like, I just want to punch this guy in the teeth. Like, I just, ugh, it just didn't like that. But then, you know, so then like there, he's talking about this possible promotion, whatever. And that's a through line through the episode. But then as that's happening, uh, uh this is when Ann comes into the office and, uh, I swear I saw a cartoon wolf howling somewhere in there that didn't actually see that, but that's the level. This was like Looney Tunes level, like reaction to when she walked in and the music changed and everything. And then suddenly became like an episode of mad men. Like it was just like it's played for comedy and I know it was intended for comedy. It's just dear Lord. Like the, none of this felt good.
0: No. And they did the way this was all, uh, i don't know people being portrayed it felt like a cartoon kind of like what you're saying like everybody got up off their desk and they went to ann's desk and they're all cooling over her because it's her birthday and roger got her a gift and i don't i don't know everything that plays from this moment on with ann is exactly what you would see in a uh sexual harassment video at your
1: work. <laughs> you know like yeah. don't
0: do these things. Yeah.
1: Well and the, there's the line there too where it's like um you know they're talking about like a, like something related to work and then and that's whenever uh, when Ann comes in and uh Roger's like yeah when there's assets like her around and it's like Boo, you know. Uh but then he gets her a gift and it's like I don't know if it's like a nightgown or negligee or something. Um, but it's like she's excited about that. And then she like straight up kisses him in the office and steam comes out of his ears and his his hair twirls around. That that didn't happen either. Uh, but it's like that's what that felt like. Um, and then the boss shows up and he seems kind of like, What's going on in here? And everybody kind of calms down. Uh, but then he's in on the joke too, about like, didn't you guys know that on her birthday we all leave early for tacos or or whatever he said? But in the meantime, he buys her like the world's largest flower vase uh, as a gift. Did you see the size of the of the vase that that those flowers came in? Like,
0: yeah, the the vase itself was ginormous. Yeah. <laughs> when they were trying to hand it to the woman, I thought the. I thought her, uh, arms were, were going to cave because the, the weight of it. I mean, it was huge, yeah,
1: It was huge, but it was like, here, I bought this gift for you. It's, it's, uh, for flowers that are going to die soon. And now you have a vase that, you know, I don't, I guess, I guess this is going to be forever at your house and now it's going to be furniture. I don't know what to do with this. You know, like you could yeah, you put your, uh, put your umbrellas in it. <laughs> yeah yeah it's you put all your other vases in it for storage um but so yeah the whole office leaves early for drinks uh and then uh you know george is like you know he says something to her and she's like oh you're coming along right and he's like yeah eventually or whatever and they all leave and then there's this moment where he george goes over to like the gift that she was given and he picks it up and he caresses it or does he smell it it's one of those things it's one of those two it's 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 a a small beat and we get and he's supposed to be like like, you know, heartbroken because he's, he loves her. It comes off creepy.
0: Yeah. It, honestly, everything that's playing up to this moment, if it was framed in today, like the now and, and like I think I would be really creeped out by George. <laughs> I, it, it would be like, is this Jeffrey Dahmer? Like <laughs> that's how even, even the intro and how, um, Serling is describing him. This seems like a true life a true crime story that I've heard about.
1: Yeah. I mean, if that was if if they uh used that to describe Robert Duvall's character in miniature, it would uh, that's where I would have felt like, yeah, this guy's not right. You know, like uh, and I feel like, you know, they're at a very similar social situation, uh, though it's very two different guys. Um so yeah, he he decides he's gonna take the lamp back home, be like, well, maybe I could use an ashtray or something. And then We get to his apartment where, um, I will say that the running gag with the the appearance of Attila through the rest of the episode, I thought that was okay. I thought that was kind of a funny framing of this dog and what happened each time we got to a different portion of the story. I thought that was okay. I didn't like that the dog seemed like it needed to go use like uh, the lawn outside for the entire time of the scene because the way he was panting, I was stressed out.
0: Yeah. You could tell the dog was being coaxed to do a lot of the scenes. Like there's one scene where, um, George is on his back in a chair. Cause he fell over. You can tell that there's supposed to be treats underneath the chair <laughs> and the dog is trying to get to them.
1: Yeah. Uh, I just felt bad for Attila. Like I did like, uh, just cause I was just like that, just take the dog outside and he needs to go poop. That's what the dog, that's why the dog's panting. He needs to go pee <laughs> and poop on something and you're not letting that happen. Um, but so, yeah, so Attila's reacting to the, the box cause it shakes. George doesn't notice this. Uh, but then he's like, oh, I'll show you boy, you know, I'll show you the lamp. But he also does this monologue too, about how he's a jerk. And I don't know if I think the connotation of what a jerk is, then it was more akin to like a loser as opposed to what we think of as a jerk as just being an asshole. I think that was the way they're trying to frame me. It's like, that's just me, a jerk, you know? Uh, so I think that was trying, he was like even down on himself, even though you saw he was happy to see his dog. He had some fish. Uh, he looked up on the telescope to make sure that the moon was doing okay or whatever, you know, he cared, you know, I honestly thought he had a telescope looking into like Ann's apartment or something. I really thought that's where we're going with it, but you could tell that he has a heart and he does care about things.
0: Yeah. And when he comes home, it's his sanctuary. So you can see that his demeanor is completely changed. He he's really comfortable. He's super excited to be home and see his dog and everything like that's his best bud right there.
1: Yeah.
0: And that that personifies the the that kind of mentality a little bit better for me when you see him out into the real world. He's like I said, like very uh, reserved and uncomfortable when he's home. It's perfect that's that frames that character for me way better um i just don't even think that all the other antics that they show even needed to be i I don't think they did it was it was unnecessary almost for me but but that's the kind of person that i uh associate more with i i i understand george more because of those things that play
1: out yeah so um so then we get the bit with the lamp where he's like, oh, look at this thing. And he's like talking about it. And he's like, oh, it's dirty. And he goes to rub it. And then uh, all of a sudden, all the smoke appears. And I thought we were about to get uh, a panther, like a leopard, showing up as a witch for a second. And we didn't get that. I was really, really hoping for a witch. Because anytime time you see smoke appear, there's going to be a witch involved. But, you know, sadly, we didn't get that. We got a genie. Yeah. No, that Dogs a witch. Yeah. <laughs> That cat was a witch. I will have that button at the ready, no matter what. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I was expecting—I uh, was expecting um, Jez Bell to show up and you know, raise Kane, which probably would have helped this episode. So, yeah, we get the genie, um, and uh, the, there was the whole back and forth where you know, the genie keeps calling him Jack, and he's like, "I'm George," and it's like, I—I I get what they're going for, I just—it wasn't funny to me. Um, and there's the whole explanation of why genies are dressed modern. But then he says, you brought me out of this after 2000 years. I'm like, well, how would you know what modern fashion is? If you've been in the lamp for like 2000 years or whatever he said, that felt weird. Um, but then George is like, well, then I get three wishes and he's like, well, that's not how it works anymore. Basically the genie's like, uh, yeah, people were kind of stupid with the first two wishes. So we just knocked down to one, which I thought was an interesting take on things. You know, I thought it was going to go in a different direction, but it it really didn't.
0: I would have been kind of pissed. I would have been like, dude, that's not how this works. Get, get, back that up. When did you even think that that was a good idea? 2,000 years ago with the last guy? Doesn't seem like too many people are willing to rub on you yeah. <laughs> or rub on the last guy. <laughs>
1: Like he was like like the last guy this guy Jafar was just a jerk I can't I'm sorry not a jerk because that you know he's not a loser he he was just a dick you know so we gave him we knocking down to one now because Jafar he went too far with it he went too Jafar with it Um, yeah (laughs) Um, but the one thing I do like is that um so though this gets negated quickly in the story George is wondering they should he's like should I get riches. And Gene's like, no, he's like, he's like the entire revenue will take most of it. I'm like, how do you even know about that? But whatever. Um, He's like, basically money won't bring you what you want. And he's like, well, what about love? And he's like, you can't wish for love. It has to be earned or given. And so he's like, just do me a favor, kid. He's like, sleep on it. Like before you make your wishes, sleep on it. I liked that where it's like, you know, I am this kind of an, you know, a, a, kind of this genie who's kind of a, you know, a prick, but I want to give you some time to think about this just because and he he warned him of the pitfalls of what most people wish for i thought that was kind of nice it immediately gets like again negated in what we're about to talk about next but at least at least that was talked about it wasn't like um you know it, that was the elf in the room of like what most people wish for
0: yeah and it's a, it was a cool concept i wonder if the initial uh uh like writing of this that somebody just came back at him it's like, the, this has been done too many times. Let's come at it from a different angle and try to do it more of a twilight zone type of storyline. I, I wonder if what conversations were had in the production of this in the initial uh, stages.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, there's um there was a season two episode. I think it was actually one of the very first season two episodes um called a uh, man in a bottle or man in the bottle. In a bottle? Anyway, and it deals with uh, these people that own an antique store and they are kind of have hard times and they find a genie. And he gives them four wishes. So I think he broke the system for everybody, actually. Uh, but they, they fall into the pitfalls of, you know, wanting money and importance. And um, and even, we'll talk about, remind me how that, that one goes because the third wish, or sorry, the third thing that uh, George thinks about went very differently in that episode, Man of the Bottle. So I was kind of hoping for a call back to that and it didn't happen. But again, twilight zones covered this before at least they talk about like, be careful what you wish for. I liked that hesitancy, but then, then the episode, this takes a takes a, a swerve. I wasn't expecting. And that's not, I don't know if it's a good thing, but it's different.
0: Yeah. true. um, so yeah, so after this, uh, you know, he, he ends up sitting in his chair and he's already starting to dwell on, the possibilities of what his first wish could be well his his only wish the way he keeps on talking about it is like this is my wish now let's see how my brain plays it out and he's very he seems like a very pessimistic person so i think it's interesting that it's left in his hands to really think about how everything's supposed to play out when he's gonna look at it in a negative light either way Mm -hmm. so i don't know
1: I mean, what we get is a series of uh, dreams or daydreams in which he thinks about these scenarios in which the wishes would play out. And it's like, in essence, what you're you're getting is him seeing, like, it would have been the same thing as of him getting the wishes, you know? Mm -hmm. But this is presented more from his thought process, like you said. Like, the first one was him, you know, like, what if I was uh, married to Anne, but she was this famous actress, and that way I could kill two birds with one stone. And then we get, like, this, like this vignette of that sequence that um, with the, with the celebrity stuff and him wearing the sunglasses and like everybody having the suit and tie, it didn't, it didn't feel out of place like, like a scene out of like the graduate Just something. I don't know. Like I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like they're going someplace with this. And then it just kind of, it kind of just peters out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it, I don't know. It, it didn't really have legs for me from the beginning and how this was being framed. But it was interesting. And I was willing to really dive into this. So yeah like you said. The the first uh, scenario is Anne is an actress. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's going to the set. And she's about to um, start uh, shooting again. And he tries to get comfortable with her. And for a moment at least. And give her a kiss in it. And she just seems really put off by not even talking to. Well by him even being there. And she doesn't want to kiss him saying it's, it's makeup and everything like that. But she just seems like a prissy bitch at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, I guess they've been married for six months and they've not had their honeymoon and all that. And it's like, and every time he tries, she's like, Oh, my makeup watch out. And then, you know, he's like, well, after this movie, we'll have some time. And then like that night, like he's like, Oh, you don't have to wake up in the morning. She's like, yeah, but I'm just so tired. And then I have this party to go to. Um, this character is actually very, very similar to the characters she played in um The Chaser, the, the character Leela. So everything about this felt like, yeah, that's that's her lane to be in. Um, but it's like, you know, but again, you mentioned this is George Dream and it's like, wow, he's a uh, he has some issues to work through. If this is his his fantasy of this wish, th- like this isn't the genie interfering with anything, you know? So that's that's weird. But then you eventually find out that she's going to cheat on him with like her co-star and like the whole thing kind of kind of pays off where he's like, I'll mess your makeup up. She's like, it doesn't matter. After she warned George repeatedly to not mess up her makeup, you know, and that's kind of and we also had that bit, too, where he's under the piano talking to the starlet with her her fake accent, implying that she was underage, which was weird. Um, You know, again, trying to play for comedy, it just it didn't really come across all that well.
0: Yeah, and she's talking with like this really hokey ass uh, French accent, and she thinks that he's somebody special. And when she finds out that he is only the husband of Anne, uh, she gets pissed off, and she she's like, "Oh, I just wasted all that time on you," and <laughs> she leaves him under the under the <laughs> piano.
1: Yeah, but the, she drops the accent. She's like, "Oh, well, I'm I'm done." Like <laughs> like it was it was. Uh... It was okay, but the whole thing of like, oh, I'm underage, I shouldn't drink, it's like just stop, stop talking. Just stop. This is this is already too weird and uncomfortable. Could you just not make it worse? But yeah. So so yeah, I mean that's that's the first dream sequence. And then so there's this through line again. Oh, and she also mentioned that Attila is a much smaller foo foo dog in this sequence, which I thought was funny. Because he's more of um what is he regularly? He's just um I don't know, just a mutt. I guess he's, they, yeah, he's
0: like a, one of the bigger, like, uh, like schnauzer type. Yeah, that's uh, it, yeah. But it's like a bigger, like, I don't know, the dog's like three or four feet, not four feet, but three feet high off the ground. But in this segment, he turns into like a poodle.
1: Yeah. So that was, that was okay. Um, and then, so yeah, when George wakes up, like there's this through line of this promotion that like, you know, he thinks he's in line for. And then Roger also, you know, is gunning for. So, th- so you get this weaving in and out of reality, but George p- does this thing where he comes to the work the next day, pissed at Ann and pissed at uh, Roger because of his dream. And it's like, you're an adult. Like you can't, that's, that doesn't, I don't understand why this is a thing, you know, like he's so like upset at Roger. Cause Roger was the actor in the dream. I don't know. It's supposed to be played for comedy. It didn't work for me.
0: Yeah. It just seemed so ridiculous to me. When he comes in and it just seems all guns blazing, he says something kind of rude to Ann and he gets up in the face of Roger and gets all pissy with him. It's like, dude, calm calm the hell down. Like, Sit back in your seat and relax.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Georgie Porgy, just sit down. So um, then at that point, uh, that's when he has his daydream about being a rich tycoon. Um, which I, the one gag I wish would have been in this, this, uh, episode is that, is he's like thinking of the title It's like, be like George, whatever, you know, uh, tycoon. I was really, really hoping because when they pull up when his, like his, uh, fancy car pulls up, you see his name like stenciled on the, um, like the parking, like the, the, the curb because it's like his special parking spot. I was really hoping it was his full name and it said tycoon. Like with it, I was really hoping that his title would actually appear stenciled on the pavement, but you know, for an episode that does a lot of weird comedy, doesn't work. Sadly, that didn't happen.
0: Yeah. You can tell that, um, George is kind of bummed out about money on top of all the other scenarios as well, because right before he gets into this dream sequence, um, Roger goes in for the, the possible promotion meeting or to get interviewed rather. And another dude walks in with some numbers of a client that, uh, George has oh, to go over right. again.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: And so when he sees how much the, the net worth or the, the money that's being moved around that this client has, he, he starts to dive into the next scenario. Like, ah, oh, money, what could money do for me? What if I had this kind of money to play around with? How important could I be? And, uh, so yeah, so when he gets into that sequence, um, he, he looks sophisticated. He looks like he, he's a man with power. And as he walks in, uh, is walking into his, the building that he works at, he comes across the paper boy and, uh, hears about the heartache that the paper boy has been going through. His, his mom passed away. Um, and the, his dad, uh, is out of work. I believe he said
1: something. Yeah, uh, I think so. so yeah.
0: And so he gives him a hundred bucks and buys the paper from him. And instantly you are seeing that it's not important for George to have power. It's important for George to make an impact on somebody. I think that's what they were trying to instill in that moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, trying to show that he was like, oh, well, you know, this kid's going to school. I got to reward him because hard work pays off, you know, and like it's, it's, Again, even though he's imagining himself with like this unimaginable wealth, he's still trying to think he's still trying to think of himself as a good person. So at least I mean at least in this scenario in this fantasy, he's not a villain, like with all the money. He just learns that, you know, just because you have all this money that does not mean that your problems stop. Like which I knew we were seeing that coming from a mile away, but I didn't but it's also like he was self serving, being like, I know I gave you a hundred dollar bill. Go go forth, urchin you know, like whatever.
0: Yeah. And it,
1: it, it, he's trying
0: to be more endearing as a a character, even after, um, having all this wealth. And so when he goes up to his office, he, he starts talking to his secretary. She, there's this little bit where she, she's asked to clean his gloves, but she just throws them in the garbage. And she said, because of the tax bracket you're in, it's just more cost effective for you to throw them away and buy new ones.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of this purposeful, wasteful spending because of the amount of money that he has. Uh, And then we get, like, the whole thing where his, um, like, someone from his uh, alma mater comes in asking for a donation for something for the school. And he's like, well, how much do you need? And he's like, oh, you know, we we need, like, a million something. And he just hands him a check. And he's like, here you go. It's all taken care of. And I wasn't expecting the whole thing of, like, the guy saying, oh, well, I can't take this. You're robbing. Uh, other people that support the school, the potential to do some good. (laughs) Like I've never heard that when someone gets a check for all their money, I've never heard of someone being like, Oh, you've robbed everybody else the chance to help out. I've never heard that excuse for not taking money
0: especially if it's some kind of a donation system and that someone's going to find use for that money and there's still going to be a need for more of it. Yeah. Mom's the word on when it comes to money. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, but, but that sequence though, of like the guy coming in asking, you know, for the donation, I was just for a moment there. I was really hoping Steve Martin would come in and, and talk about the perils of a uh, cat juggling. I was really hoping, um, <laughs> I don't, have you seen the movie the jerk? Yes, uh, there's the bit where he is seeing all the different people come in and talk about their causes. And there's the bit where he plays the South American priest that plays the black and white film showing the evils of cat juggling, trying to get money for his cause. And that's what this made me think of was like, someone's would have come here and try to tell him to stop cat juggling at any point. So that's what I was hoping <laughs> for.
0: Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. That was a weird little part to me. And it just seemed because it's one of the things that's interesting about this episode too, is he keeps on using familiar faces, familiar people in his dream. So this is Watson who's talking to him again, who we've seen the, what that's his boss, right?
1: Yes. Watson. Um, yeah, that's
0: the boss. So, um, so he, he, he's repurposed in this segment as the guy who's asking for the alma mater donation. And when he just guilt some he goes hard into it like he makes george kind of slump back a little bit and you can tell that he's kind of hurt his feelings and he's like well tell me what i can do how can i make this right and he's like give me the twenty thousand dollars i asked for it's like what's like and, he, and george thanks him he's about to give him 20 grand and he thanks that dude yeah it just again, reconfirms that in this, even in his dreams, even after having all this power, he seems like he's almost like spineless.
1: Yeah, that that's, that's fair. I, I didn't, I didn't take, um, that's a, that's a good pull. I, I didn't consider because I mean, I, I just considered the, the recasting of all the, the people just because that was supposed to be like the comedy bit that his fantasies always involved those that he worked around. But you're right. That actually provides a little bit more depth this episode. So damn you, Terry, for making me actually think more about this. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, damn you. No. <laughs> no. Uh, it, it seems yeah. like
0: his world is that small, too. I think that no, could that's also fair. be- No, that's fair. That's a
1: very valid point. Yeah. That's- And I and you know what? I bet you that's what they were going for, and I just I missed it both times. You know? Like, uh, the fact that even in his- uh, I, I took the notion that in his own daydreams and fantasies that even- even his own dreams won't let him off the hook. I, I, I was aware of that, but the way you could, you brought the context that that does fit very much in line with him. And that actually kind of gives a little bit more of a, a better, a better fit for the ending that we come to actually. So okay. yeah, good call. So then we see, uh we
0: see masters come in next who again now is repurposed as somebody who I guess, helps uh, George spend his money. That's the only thing I could think of. This guy is like an accountant or something, or just a salesman that helps him spend his money. I didn't understand what his role was.
1: Yeah. I don't know. But then like, he was like, you should buy the ship. He's like, I already have a ship. He's like, well that this ship would make that ship look like a dinghy. And he's like, well, I don't want another ship. It's like, sir, sir, you need to buy things. Basically even the guilt trip of like, if you don't buy anything, then you're taking money away from those that want to sell things to you. And you're not providing food for their tables. (laughs) It's like, he's in this prison of you've made so much that, that you're expected to spend it, which again, I wasn't expecting that to be, um, the lesson from this fantasy segment.
0: Yeah. And like, like right before
1: he says that, like,
0: He's talking about simpler times. He's talking about catching a ball game, eating ice cream on a hot day. These were the simple things. And while looking at these kind of like these possible transactions of just buying another ship or spending more money, it just doesn't seem like it's exactly what he was hoping for. Like the simple things that made him happy. He's not getting out of this. So why do it? I'm just going to stop buying. And that's when he, he he gets pissed at him. It's like you can't do that. That's an injustice, like to the rest of Americans. Like we're built as buyers. Like basically framing him to be the biggest cog in the system. You have to spend money for everybody else to make money. And what kind of what kind of better way to guilt the shit out of somebody than to in this kind of like um, storyline where he's he's really affluent than to tell them. You have to spend money so everybody else can survive.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the trickle down like economics of the eighties rates. Like, well, if the rich people spend the money, then the rest of us will have some. Yeah. It was some weird turns in this episode. Again, appreciate it. Cause he tried something different, but I was not expecting that to go that way. And then, you know, that's the end of that, that daydream. And then that's when we find out, um, at that point that, uh, Roger gets the promotion in the office, not George. And, you know, uh, whatever like it's the, the again another office segment that you know i, I hate everybody there but that pissed then, me off
0: too when he wait did you <laughs> that part bothered the hell out of me when he's waking up he's waking up to roger's fist in his face yeah
1: and he's like aren't you going to congratulate me for what not punching you in the face yeah weird <laughs>
0: that know. was a really weird scene i was like what the hell are they trying yeah. to do here i don't know how that like it implies anything other than this dude wants to get wrecked right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um so so then at that point we get um George like walking down the street with, with Attila. Oh we forgot to mention Attila was um this super large like Irish wolfhound in the previous segment. So I thought that was funny. Like this dog was just a monster of a dog. Um bigger than most people. So that that was Attila there. Uh, and then this one. So he, he's walking the actual regular Attila and he sits down and he has this moment about what would it be like to have power, um, which this is a callback to the um, man in the bottle episode where after the guy there realizes that he can't have everything he wants with like, you know, like money and everything. He's like, well, I want to I want to be in power. And the genie makes him Hitler. Like at the very end of world war two. And it's just like, he realizes that like the U S troops are coming in the door and he's like, he's like, and I'm Hitler. That was like one of the greatest single moments in twilight zone. Cause it was done for like dark comedy. So I was really, really hoping when George was like, you know what? I want power that we would have got another secret Hitler just because that would have been in line with the rest of the season. But we didn't get that. We got him imagining himself as the president.
0: Yeah. I, I need to watch that episode. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So as you're talking about it right now, I'm like, damn, I wish I had more to say on that one.
1: (laughs) I, I should have mentioned it to you, but it's like, it's just, it's also kind of one that people have seen. Um, but, and I also, it just, this one is doing the three wishes story, but it's doing it differently. I just, I don't know. But anyway, we get George imagining himself as the president, like actually being a man of action to a degree, Uh, But there are times when he's been being brought immediate decisions and he's like, send it to committee, you know, like, but then it's important for him to meet like the Boy Scouts because they, you know, they, they, so I, I, you know, you get the notion that he wants to be good at his job, but if there's a big enough decision, he will push it off to somebody else.
0: Yeah. And he's, he's like, a, it's like rapid fire too, because there's a group of different, uh, different guys in there with different problems And he's firing off what he considers are solutions at that point. Talks to his secretary. Oh, we can get those kids on, on the the haircut. We can get a haircut together. So he's really trying to be on the ball and be like the man who knows pretty much everything he needs to do and have everything under control. And everybody leaves the office and the weirdest sequence happens. (laughs) He just goes over to the window with a blanket around his shoulders. Again, weird. Um, and there's this lady behind the curtains. What? <laughs> like, yeah. She had been the waiting there that? for a
1: while. It's actually the, it's the, it's Anne and like older makeup. And she, she said she had hidden there for like, you know, to try to get a pardon for her son who fell asleep at like a munitions factory. He was in the, using the service. And that's considered like treason. Um, so you know, she states his case, states her case, uh, to him, saying a presidential pardon would fix it, and he just made a mistake. And he, you know, and, and George is like, Okay, I do understand it's important, and so he goes out of his way to make a phone call to be like, Get the paperwork together for the pardon. So then she's grateful to him, and you know, so he he, is able to take action right in this one instance and is human. Um, so then. It's a weird, it's just weird that she was hiding in the Oval Office for a day and no one noticed her, you know,
0: <laughs> this, this, this segment seemed more like a dream than any other <laughs> segment that played out.
1: Yeah. Well, before he got up and put his little shawl on, he picks up a uh, Tilla and it's, um, a, like a little, uh, not Yorkie, but like a, a wire hair, or Scotty, it's Scotty. It's a Scotty. Yeah. I was really, really hoping that when we heard the dog bark that he'd pick up a cat or something just ridiculous and be like, you know, just to really get that third appearance of a different Attila would have been funnier to me if it was a different animal altogether. But yeah. Um, but so we got a different Attila for each situation, but after he says, you know, he's going to pardon uh, that guy, uh, people come bursting in the office saying, sir, you know, there's UFOs coming. I, I just really wish it would have been like, uh, we would have found out about this earlier, but the guy that was working at that station fell asleep. Like, like, I would have loved that the lady, like, I would have loved it if it had been the same guy who's about to pardon as the one that fell asleep with the wheel and missed the alien invasion. I thought that would have actually have been really funny.
0: That would have been hilarious. I, th- <laughs> I wish that would have happened too, now that you say it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it's just like so they're mentioning like this is coming, we gotta take action. So like the military guy's like, We gotta attack now and like the like the diplomats like, No, it could be like all these innocent beings up there and and, and George is like, you know, frozen, like deer in the headlights. He's like, Can we have a committee meeting? He's like, We don't have enough time and he's like, Get the Congress together. It's like we don't have enough time And they just wanted them him to take immediate action and make a call and he just can't and that's when he snaps out of that fantasy, you know, and realizes that like, you know, if if the um if the circumstances are high enough, he's not going to be the one to, to, to answer that call. And then we yeah. have, we have like the guy, somebody that's been in the building, evidently hearing him have this daydream, uh, just yell at him, <laughs> like, which is really weird too.
0: And that was Roger too. The, the guy who was coming in and busting and about the oh, spaceships yeah, he was too. A
1: military guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so
0: yeah. I, I, here he is again, uh, screwing up, uh, you know, George's dreams, like with this alien problem, really pressing him. <laughs> So again, here, here's George taken back down to a powerless, uh, like point of view.
1: Yeah. So then that's when, uh, George finally decides that, you know, he, he decides that he's always going to be himself no matter what, you know? And so, but he decided he figured out what his wish is going to be. Um, I'm going to let you tell, like, if people have not watched this episode, please tell them what happens next, which is one of the more bizarre endings to a twilight zone episode.
0: Yeah, so he goes back to his place, and it seems that he's contemplating how he was going to play this out. And he's like, through some weird train of thought, he's like, I'm just going to do this. And we it cuts scene, and we see uh, an alley, and there's a homeless guy just sitting there next to a, a garbage can. And he peers over, and he sees the lamp that uh, has been throughout the entire episode. And he picks it up, he looks at it. It uh, doesn't seem too interested, puts it back down, but then peers over it again and says, ah, eh, forget it, picks it up, starts to rub it filled with smoke. And all of a sudden the genie comes out and it's George,
1: <laughs> but he's done up like, 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 you know, with the straight up, like, you know, the, the you know, the headpiece and what the vest, you would think. like what you would think of as a genie. Right. And, but at first you don't see him per se, like his backs to the camera, but then he turns and slowly makes eye contact with the camera. And it's like, it's supposed to be this big, like, uh, huh you know, and then, uh, and then he starts to smile a little bit and then he picks up, you know, he, he picks up Attila, Attila has a, a headpiece on too. So it's like, well, at least the dog's with them, you know, but But he really, he gives three wishes to the, to the homeless guy. And he was like, you know, use your wishes, but make sure the lamp stays here. So it's shown that he wants, he may not be good at being the one making decisions, but he's good at facilitating. So he's found his perfect role. And so it kind of makes sense in terms of like the character arc, but I just, the whole like big reveal of like the genie is him. Like, Like it, it, it tried to play much more dramatic and bigger than it really was.
0: Yeah, it, it for me it felt really flat, and I was like lame. Um, <laughs> I I didn't I didn't know what to expect honestly towards the end of the episode, so it was kind of a toss up for me. But when I saw that reveal, I was like, okay, whatever. But it it's it, again it's him trying to be that endearing character again, where where he's saying essentially that it since it has to stay in the alley that whoever falls upon it it's going to be completely by accident and probably well worth their while. And he's going to, he's going to feel happier about that than I don't know, some rich tycoon getting it and probably using it in a way that he wouldn't normally uh, be happy about, I guess.
1: Yeah. Like I think, I think the more twilight zoning ending would have been like him for him to wish that he and Roger switch places in life. Uh, that way Roger would just be bewildered the next time he comes into work and doesn't understand why he doesn't have a promotion, why Ann isn't in love with them. Like, you know, it would have been, it would, that I think, I mean, it would have been a little on the nose, but Roger's kind of been a dick this entire time. Like where was his comeuppance, you know, but whatever, that's, that's not the episode there. That wasn't the story they were telling. And we got this one.
0: Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And, in, and I think. especially upon uh, our conversation now and thinking about everything, I just feel like George really wanted to be happy with everything that he was going to be connected to from that point forward. Like, again, uh, going back to the kid and giving, giving him $100 and having the position of power, he really wanted to make everybody happy. It was more about, when he said power, it wasn't about control. It was about being able to be a a good influence, like being able to help people. I think that was his point of view the entire time.
1: Yeah, no, that I think, I think that's valid. So, um, yeah. Um, with that being said, um, and with our conversation, like helping, maybe like softening some of the edges about how I feel about this episode. I, 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 it's, I'm not a fan of it. I don't think it's that great. Um, I like, I I do appreciate they're trying to do something a little different, um, just, it just, you mentioned that like, there's times I wish some of the scenes would have hurried up. It's like, yeah, like they just, I don't know. I don't know if cutting this down to 24 minutes would have made it any better, but I feel like making it 52 minutes was not good either. You know, like, cause that that the lead up to him getting the lamp. Um, Not the lead him like before he actually activates the lamp, like all of that. When we have that madman section and all that that stuff, we get 17 minutes into the story before we get to him actually being given the idea that he gets a single wish. That's that's one third of your runtime. That it's not wasted, but man, it could have been 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 spent better.
0: Yeah, I I believe that wholeheartedly. That it just seemed like a dredge for me to watch this episode. Uh, it, it, for some reason, some of the episodes seem to just fly by and they're, they're a real good romp to watch, but this like episodes like this in the parallel, it, they just seem so long when,
1: <laughs> when it
0: comes to watching them again, especially the second time. It's like, dude, d- these don't, these do not get any better.
1: <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, um, that's that's all I got like about this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you have any other, any other notes. I think we, I think we actually, I think we did this like the story, the telling of the plot of this. I think we did more justice than I was expecting to tonight, and considering the pinata that was the parallel last week. You know, maybe maybe I'm, um, you know, paying paying a little bit more mind to this one because I, I felt like back to back weeks of me being like, screw it, let's not talk about it, would have not served. The show or the twilight zone that well
0: no i and honestly last week's episode there wasn't much there uh even when like revisiting it uh on that second watch i was like dude this is not going to be a very good conversation about this episode but in this one here there was more meat to it like you said earlier like there was more to Discuss about this not only in the the, the cast and that which I thought the the cast was way better in this episode than the last one as well, um, but there were there were things to take from this episode that I felt we could have a good conversation about it.
1: Yeah, and, and you know. The, the whole, like, be careful what you wish for thing. I, I'm sure we'll visit it again. It's, it's an easy, it's an easy wall to go to and you can have some fun with like the, what could have been. I just think the framing of this being in his own mind was a little odd, but your, your context of even in his fantasies, he's still kind of getting shit on and, and it's the way he kind of views himself. That does add a little texture to it. So, you know, yeah. Uh, will I ever revisit this episode again? Probably not, but. Yeah, I guess after our talk, I, I do feel a little better about it. But man, the, the, the two times through watching this thing, I was just, it just was not, it was not um, fun going. I'll just put it that way.
0: No, and and I, I hate to be the guy who poo-poos all over this episode because I think if there was some tweaks to it, it could have had some, it could have been a better episode, honestly. There were some good bones here for the type of storytelling that they were trying to go for. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a, be careful what you wish for uh narrative. It's just the way that this one was presented. It wasn't, it wasn't a very strong episode for me, but you know, it's going to happen.
1: Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I guess this, cause this is traditional on the show. We're just going to rate this twist. Um, I didn't see him becoming a genie at the end of this. So I'll give it a four.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with a three. I I did not. I didn't call that. My wife did. (laughs) Oh, well, good on her. Yeah, she she called it like as soon as the cut scene happened. She's like, it's going to be him as the genie now. I was like, huh. Oh, yep, yep, you're right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so you know i mean as in terms of like not of of not expecting it i'm giving it a higher number as in and it does kind of fit the character arc a little bit so yeah that's that's where we're at here so that's it that's i dream of genie um so, uh, that's, we're going to put a pin in that episode, uh, never to be spoken of again until the end of the season. When we wrap everything up, uh, you guys can find us on Facebook at a strange highways podcast. Uh, you can find us, uh, you can email us directly at strange highways podcast at gmail.com. Um, wherever you find your podcast, whether that be, you know, Apple podcast, uh, Google music, Stitcher Podbean, Um, I don't know. 7-Eleven, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you can find us, rate and review us, that'd be great. Also recommend it to other people. Maybe, you know, maybe not, t- if they've not watched Twilight Zone, maybe don't start with watching this episode first. But, yeah, um, the more the merrier. We enjoy the conversation uh, and hope you guys enjoyed as well. But, yeah, please, if you like it, let people know.
0: Yeah, get get involved, people. Uh, we, were, we were hoping to hear some more feedback about possible episodes at that- You are really excited about. Maybe we'll discuss uh, with you on the Internet, on the interwebs. Get back to us about which ones are your favorite. And uh, we look forward to future discussions with you guys about episodes that are coming
1: up. Yeah, absolutely. So next episode is called The New Exhibit. Um, normally in my resource books, I have a teaser that Rod Sterling would say introducing, like teasing the next week and I would read it and I'd stumble through it for whatever reason. There is not one for this episode. I couldn't find it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've not seen this episode. I've seen some stills from it in the books I've been through looks interesting. Looks like it's going to be a nice change of pace from what we've been doing. So I'm excited about that. Uh, just programming note, um, we 're gonna be doing this next week and then we're gonna take two weeks off um, just because uh, you know <laughs> I I'm changing locations physically and I'm not I'm, I'm going from one room to another room that's but and, and then to a different house So I, I've talked to Terry about this he's very upset and disappointed with me but I need to take some time off and, and move my shit from one place to another so I hope you guys will also bear with me as that happens.
0: So that gives you guys some time to catch up on some episodes, (laughs) spread the word. Hopefully I just like Uh, Terry's not,
1: he's not talking to me directly now. He's like, he's still that mad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the elephant in a room, but we're not talking about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we got an episode next week and then we're going to take the rest of April off. So, but then we come back from that. We're going to, with um, as long as uh, everything works okay with me getting internet set up in my new place, we're going to, we're going to plan on trucking through the rest of season four. We're just going to get, cause we're already now there's what, 18, 19 episodes in the season. Um, we're two thirds of the way through. So we're going to, once we get, you know, once we get back from break, we're going to plow through the rest of this and get through season four. Uh, and then, you know, the light's into the tunnel. So we're almost there. So uh, thank you guys for for joining us on this journey. And it's been fun. Uh, even when the episodes themselves aren't that great, it's always still fun talking about it. And I, I guess everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. And um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, if you have one wish, I mean, I guess you could be a genie. Um, but... I guess also don't be Hitler. That's also something that's important to, to say because that's important. Don't wish to be Hitler.
0: Yeah. And, uh, uh, spay and neuter your dogs. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. All four of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those blips on the radar screen have just been identified. Spaceships from some strange planet. Spaceships from another planet? Huge ones, hundreds of them.